and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 86, which begins with Ash spitting up milk and ends with Ash saying, perfect organism. And it's a new week, and we have a new guest, a man who has faced Daleks as Churchill in Doctor Who, who has faced Fremen as Baron Harkonnen on the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries Dune, and has even faced Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura 2. The great Ian McNeese is here to talk acting. Hello, Ian. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. This is our first international Skype situation. So you're making history with us. I am. I'm in London, even as we speak. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I We always start by asking our guests if they can remember the first time that they saw Alien. And I was just curious if, if you can. Well, I actually can't remember the first time I saw it, although I've seen it several times since, and a huge fan, not only of the film, but of Ridley Scott. I mean, I've been a fan of Ridley Scott for many, many years. In fact, I, I think I even like one of his movies that you don't. <laughs> Which movie would that be? That, I think, is Gladiator. I don't think you're a fan of Gladiator so much. Is that right? That's not really true. I just have... Oh, okay. okay. I just have... Uh, I have complicated feelings about gladiator but i like it and i teach it in my class and i watch it every year and so to say that i dislike it isn't isn't exactly right yeah i i don't have uncomplicated feelings but i really don't like it <laughs> so i'll just i'll just that, that's me maybe no, you were thinking of, even though you didn't know yeah i'm not a fan of that movie at all but it, it'd be interesting to hear why you are oh no no i, I mean i think that because i like the uh performances in the film i like them a lot um I, you know, I mean, I've just been a fan of the way he shoots. I love the look of his films ever since that the duelists. Um, I've, I've been a fan of his, so, you know, his shots and stuff like that. We just watched The Duelists the other night, the new Blu-ray of it, and it is such a beautiful movie, and I think it really it holds it up is. well. You know, I mean, all those years spent, you know, making a lot of money on adverts paid off, didn't it, really? I, I mean, his look is always fantastic. I think he starts with that premise. He also seems to be somebody who encourages actors, who seems to at least give them room to work. And, and Yes. Um, and I certainly, when we look at Alien, we see a film that has this fascinating, naturalistic kind of performance that's going on, despite the outrageousness of the situation. I totally agree, and I think he was one of the first people to bring that in, too. All those other things, big performances, and he brought them, he brought them right down, which I think is really impressive. We've talked a little bit about how um, the fact that he uses these multiple cameras, the way that Richard Lester was doing that in the '70s, maybe adds to some kind of both spontaneity and the ability to to cut from one size to the next in the same moment and not have to you know reset and change lenses and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've worked with Ian Holm in the past. I have, yes. I worked with him um, on a movie called A Life Less Ordinary. This was directed by Danny Boyle and was written by the same man who wrote Trainspotting, John Hodge. And they actually, which was really sweet, I found out later, that they, they employed me because they both were fans of a TV series called Edge of Darkness, which I did years ago with Martin Campbell, the, the director who went on to do um, Golden Eye and um, all sorts of other movies like that. And he did, I think he remade Edge of Darkness, didn't he, with Mel Gibson? He did, absolutely, which I saw the other night. And it's nothing like the uh, TV show we which which we did. Uh, I mean, ours was a six-hour show uh, and, and complicated. This was just a straightforward sort of action movie, really, and, and not really the same thing 
really. Well, we'll just jump into this minute. And since we start with this um, head through the table and special effects makeup and all of this business, I just wanted to ask you, having been someone who's uh, had to endure some of these um, uncomfortable makeup things, does it does it does it help your performance? Does is it a, is it a distraction? Do you? Oh yes, I would think so. I mean, looking at what poor, you know, uh, uh, what he had to do and what he had to go through was extraordinary. Uh, I mean, I haven't had anything near to that. The closest thing that I've come to was when I did um, a remake of the movie. Uh, Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead, that's right, in which I had to have uh, special zombie eyes put in me, which I absolutely hated because they, uh, they were horrendous, and, and, and I found them very hard to work with, too. And, and once they were in, I was blind. I couldn't see anything, which was uh, really horrible. But uh, um, I take my hat off to, to Ian Holm. I thought he was great in what he did. Last week we were talking about this cut from the, the fake head they cut yep. to Ian Holm's head. And I think yep. it's kind. It's pretty much the consensus across the board that that's a rough cut right there. That we, uh, it's one of the times where the maybe the the budget of the movie shows a little bit more, and maybe there could have been some other ways to do that to sell that effect a little bit better. But um, I think. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I saw it again recently, and 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 it's glaring. It really is glaring, isn't it? Yeah. What I think, though, is that Ian Holm, ultimately, Ian Holm's performance here will erase that from our memory. We won't be thinking about that anymore. But one little effects bit that happens here that I think initially sells it to me, while I'm sitting watching the movie and this cut happens and I'm I'm uneasy about it and I'm thinking, well, that's a real cheap cut. There's this real simple little old-fashioned horror movie effect where he spits up a little milk. It's sort of like spitting up his version of spitting up a little blood. And it's kind of corny, but actually I think it really works as a way to bring me into his performance now. We've kind of bridged the gap between this bad edit to, okay, now we're with Ian Holm and there's this little moment that kind of sells that that's really him now and he's there on that table and we're ready to listen to him. I think you're absolutely right. That's great. That's great. They went back and forth on whether or not to even have this scene. John has a draft of the script that's a previous one that there's there's no business about plugging him back in and getting him to talk. I have the draft that is listed as the final draft where the dialogue is totally different apparently on the day David Geiler was rewriting those lines. And actually for a on-the-day set of lines, that speech is pretty impressive, you know? Wow. I have problems with the scene across the board. Uh, I kind of wonder why it's necessary in hindsight. I could see why at the time they thought, we talked about this a little bit last week too, that some of the stuff that you're hearing, the expositional stuff is obviously ADR'd, and they thought... We need to explain a little bit more about what was going on with Ash here. And they talk about the weapons division and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And yeah. I think it's a little heavy handed in hindsight. But um, this soliloquy that he gives, this little speech, his explanation, his admiration of the alien and so on is so spot on. And it makes yeah. me wonder if even if there was thought to toning it down or cutting it in a different way, if, if Holmes's performance didn't really just kind of come through as we got to have this. This is we got to give Ash for one thing. The draft of the script that I have has no real exit for ash other than getting his head knocked off by a fire extinguisher and given ian holmes performance that would have been doing i think the character a great disservice he really did need another maybe as his own little coda or just a little bit of a button on his character as opposed to just killing him off so violently and then just forgetting about him but i think that this is both a troublesome scene in the heavy exposition but i forgive it because ian holmes so good in it and that little soliloquy that little speech he gives is so good 
in the script, what's funny is that he has a real objective in the scene. In in the Walter Hill draft before David Geiler rewrote it, he's constantly trying to talk them into putting him back together and convincing them that he could help them. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So I don't know. He doesn't have a little nose that grows when he lies or anything. But I'm I'm I don't know how how enthusiastic anybody would be about putting him back together in the hopes that right. he would give them some help. It is a big exposition dump. He gives us a lot of information. And I, I, it made me think, Ian, you have had roles where you come in for a one or two shot deal as a, I think you've been a coroner a couple of times, and you have to give all of this exposition up. Is that difficult to just come oh, in, yeah. drop in and do it? <laughs> Apart from anything else, you've got to learn all that stuff. I mean, that's the crazy thing. And as you get older, it gets harder too. No, exposition has always been tricky. Um, it's much nicer to be able to just have a free-flowing conversation where someone asks you a question and you just, you know, answer it back. But when you've got reams of stuff, and I certainly had it with the Black Dahlia that I did um, some time ago, which was, um, uh, I mean, I had to get all this stuff out about this corpse on the table that had that had been cut in two and stuff like that. And it was, it was, it was a, it was tricky exposition, especially with that director. They, they expect you to come in, nail it, and, and they really don't have time to be... They need to be moving on to other things, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And you just, just just have a very short time to do it. I remember he sat in a corner, Brian De Palma, right? And, and he sat in a corner, and uh, I walked onto the set. He didn't even say hello. I mean, I'd done the interview with him, and I met, I met him there. And the other thing is this, is that they... Extraordinary time was, was that they'd rehearsed the first shot uh, without me, so um, as if to say, oh, we won't trouble him. And I'd love to have been there because I could have rehearsed it, I'd gone through it, but they'd rehearsed it without me. So the camera was all set up as a big tracking shot above me coming down and binding me. Uh, and, and so I go into it and it's like first take. And it's like, hang on a minute here. It would have been nice if I'd been around to go through with you guys. And I was brought onto the set and put in there. And it was, it, it was not easy, not easy stuff. Yeah. Well, so I, w- I was going to mention, as I'm always the mouthpiece for Lambert, I guess, in this uh, movie, I wanted to, to talk about uh, Veronica Cartwright's performance here and what what we think her motivation might have been as an actor and what the character, what we're saying about the character and her complete inactivity in the scene. She's The way she's sitting, the body language she's giving, what the message she's giving off to me is that Lambert has spent this entire movie fretting, complaining, panicking. And, you know, a lot of it's speculative, like through the early parts of the movie, she's just fretting over stuff that might go wrong and then stuff starts to go wrong and she panics. And at this point, we've reached a point now where one of her crew members has turned out to be an an android who's been decapitated, reanimated, and is telling them that they have no chance. Uh, And I think that we finally reached the breaking point for Lambert. I think her performance here becomes this really subdued and active thing. Where she, I think she's finally broken, completely deflated. Yeah, yeah I think so. And and, it, and she's doing it so much. I almost question why she gets the line. Actually, is that in this minute or the next minute? I think she gets the line in this minute, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, where she gets the line about uh, about her, uh, she reads his soliloquy as as um, him admiring the alien. And I almost wonder why they even gave her a line here. She was doing so much just with her body language here. That it tell me, I, I almost feel like that was kind of a misstep. Maybe Ripley could have said that. Or, uh, but I, I really find it a great like arc to her performance. She's finally come full circle and completely shut down. Do you think he's lying when he says you can't kill it? 
I mean, can can robots lie? Interesting question. Um, probably not. Probably they don't lie. But you say he has already lied, right? Is that right? Well, I feel like he's lied multiple times. I mean, I yeah. don't think... He's you know, been evasive. Depends. He's been evasive. Has he oh, told totally, a straight-up totally. lie? Well, when Ripley's asked him direct questions, he's certainly given information. Not He has not given the information that we know now that he had at the time. Yeah. Uh, specifically, Mother. Clearly, Mother is not just actually just collating. She was never collating in the first place. They knew exactly what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So he has lied. But in this case, I don't think he is. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that, uh, for my interpretation of this. I think that Ian Holmes' performance tells me that he's not lying. I really feel convinced. Now, that could just be such a great performance as a liar. Maybe it's part of his con. But I think that the camera move here is indicating to me that he's telling the truth. I don't. We, we've talked to Ian a lot about how Ridley Scott uses these slow push-ins and at multiple times. Uh, he has used a sm- slight push-in and then cut away before completing the move. And then other times he's completed the move, and it seems to be telling two different stories with that uh, camera maneuver. In this case, he he gives him a nice slow push in and comes to a full stop and rests on him. And to me, given the language of this movie up to now, I feel like he's he's kind of putting a button on it and saying, "Yep, this is this is the real deal, guys." Now you got to listen to this guy. I know he's been evasive and maybe lied earlier, but right here. He wants the audience to know that the hopelessness of the situation. And I think that Ash has not figured out there's maybe only the one way that we we're going to find out that you can kill this alien. And I don't think that's part of his, what he uh, speculates as being a reason. So I think that he is telling the truth. Oh, wow. Good. Yeah. That's a great way to read it. That, that when yeah, the camera exactly. stops, it's, it's, it should be paid attention to. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, Excellent. Well, we've. Uh, do you have anything else for this minute? We can go ahead and move on. If uh, I don't, Ian. No, I'm good. Um, Ian, is there anywhere you would like people to find you uh, on the internet? No, no. I mean, I don't have a website or anything like that. But uh, um, I'm on Twitter at um, uh, Ian McNeese nineteen fifty. I think that's what it is. Very good. So people can find me on that on Twitter. All right, and you can find us at AlienMinute.com or uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can find us on Twitter at AlienMinutePod or on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast. And uh, we'll give our weekly shout-out to the Star Wars Minute. Uh, go to StarWarsMinute.com and listen to their shows. They should be starting up with Attack of the Clones very soon, which should be really interesting. So check them out, and thanks again, guys, for letting us use your format. Um, so that'll do it for Minute 86. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute number 87.